What up, everybody? Just a little reminder that the St. Dymphna's Playbook book is available wherever you get your books and ebooks. You can head on over to Ave Maria Press's website and use the code BEWELL, all one word, to get 20% off. Go get your copy now. Paul once said, although our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for what is seen as transitory, but what is unseen is eternal. Welcome to the 123rd episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. I love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want us all to remember that Jesus is with us in our suffering, especially when it doesn't feel like it. And his promise of freedom from our pain and suffering is real and always something to put our hope in. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. A recent task force has come out with guidelines that suggest we should be screening for anxiety in children as young as eight years old. And we'll start with NPR to get some context. An influential panel of experts says that kids age 8 to 18 should be screened regularly for anxiety. This draft recommendation by the United States Preventative Task Force comes at a time when mental health problems among kids have escalated and are overwhelming the health system. The task force also recommends that kids 12 and older continue to be screened for depression, a recommendation that's been in place since 2016. The screenings are usually done by primary care physicians using standardized questionnaires that parents and or kids answer depending on their age. Quote, we were already seeing rising rates of anxiety, depression, and also suicide behaviors and suicide in our young people, says Martha Kubik, a professor of nursing at George Mason University and a member of the task force. The goal of the screening, she says, is to help doctors and other providers identify at-risk kids early on in their trajectory of their illness so that they can be treated before their symptoms escalate. Most cases of anxiety in children can be treated with psychotherapy, she adds. Only kids with severe anxiety need medication. That's why, she says, the earlier a child is diagnosed, the easier it is to treat. Kids with anxiety disorders are at a higher risk of anxiety disorders and depression in adulthood, along with related illnesses like substance abuse, the recommendation notes. Back to me. What an absolutely wonderful idea to start working as early as possible to screen for and treat mental health symptoms when they pop up. We know that the earlier mental health interventions can get underway, the better the outcomes are. And when it comes to teaching our children how to recognize, talk about, and cope with their mental health, we really have to take an all-hands-on-deck approach. Screening at the pediatrician's office is just one piece. We also have to continue to work toward our schools and churches being more open to talking about mental health, spotting symptoms, and helping people get connected to services in order to encourage good mental health and wellness. And we have to do the same thing at home, talking openly about our feelings, the good and the bad, and exploring good ways to cope with our emotions when things get difficult. We can help our children early on and give them the skills they need to have healthy lives. We just have to put in the effort. 
So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm going to introduce you to St. Conrad of Parzam. Born in 1818 in Bavaria on the family farm, the second youngest of 12 children, five of whom died in infancy. He started elementary school at the age of six and was known to be a kid who deeply understood the importance of prayer, even walking on foot to any nearby shrines on feast days of the Blessed Mother. His mother died when he was 14, and his father died when he was 16, and he kept up the work on the family farm until 1838 when he attended a parish mission that got him interested in religious life. He handed out his inheritance to his siblings and was admitted as a lay brother with the Capuchin Friars. Immediately after his profession, he took on the role that has created so many great saints, the porter at the friary. The friary served as the national shrine of the Blessed Mother, so Conrad met quite a few people, helped them in their spiritual journey. He held the role for 40 years and was known to be especially kind to those in need. Conrad is another example of a saint who experienced great suffering in his life, intense grief and bereavement, and yet found his own own path to holiness, and now he's ready to intercede for us from heaven above. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer, St. Conrad. Pray for us that we will find the true meaning of humility and desire to serve others. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter Therapy. Anonymous gets us started. How might one counsel a young girl with alopecia struggling with coping with the loss of her hair? Let's start by joining in prayer together for the young girl in the question, for everyone experiencing physical health issues that impact their mental health, and for Anonymous and everyone wanting to walk alongside them. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Thank you so much for this question and for wanting to know how best to help this young girl. What a blessing you are that you're willing to help. We'll start with the National Alopecia Areta Foundation. Though the symptoms of alopecia typically do not cause physical pain, many people with the condition say that it causes emotional or psychological pain. This type of pain is as serious and can feel the same as physical pain and can lead to feelings of sadness, depression, and anxiety. People who have alopecia commonly report a variety of responses to their disease, including feeling alone, withdrawn, and isolated, experiencing loss and grief, fearing that others may find out that they have the disease or are wearing a wig, embarrassment or anger, thinking that they are to blame for their diagnosis, feeling guilty that their disease is affecting their loved ones, frantically searching for an answer or a cure. If you're experiencing these thoughts or any others related to coping with alopecia, know that how you feel about your condition is valid. No one can tell you what you're feeling is right or wrong. If you find that your feelings about alopecia are negatively affecting your everyday life, you may want to seek support in the form of a group, private counselor, or individual whom you trust. In addition to medication and talk therapy, there are lifestyle changes that you can make to improve your state of mind, and these include exercise and activity, setting realistic and achievable goals for yourself, spending time with other people, learning all you can about depression and how it impacts you. 
postponing making big life decisions such as getting married or divorced or changing jobs until you feel better. So back to me. So of course, this information is really directed at the person experiencing alopecia, but I think it gives us a glimpse into how we could help a loved one who's walking through this experience. When we're feeling depressed, we might hear about these things we can do to start feeling better, therapy, medication, lifestyle changes, but depression typically leaves us unmotivated, lacking energy, and feeling hopeless. So the help that we need when we're in this kind of a spot is the help of loved ones who can assist us and encourage us to get connected and follow through on these things. Offering a listening ear, offering to help call phone numbers, offering to go along to appointments, to to helping professionals, All of these are great ideas to lend a helping hand to a loved one in the situation you mentioned. Remember that you go with our prayers. Megan is up next. I'm thinking of going back to grad school to get my master's of art and therapy counseling. My question is, is it possible for those with stronger religious convictions to be therapists? My issue that I see arising is if I'm counseling someone who has viewpoints and beliefs completely opposite of my own, and I have to offer a solution that while it may help them, goes against my belief or what would be morally good for them to do. I've been trying to pray about it, but I tend to come up with more problems than solutions. What are your thoughts? Let's start by praying for everyone thinking about becoming a therapist and facing similar thoughts, for peace in their hearts, and for strength to continue on their journey to being able to help so many who need them. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thank you so much for the question and thank you so much for being open to the calling of becoming a therapist. And as a therapist with strong religious convictions, let me assure you that it can be done. I can understand why these questions might bring you anxiety or lead you to wondering if you'll be able to do the job. But I think one thing that has helped me over the years is the realization that I'm not here to tell people what to do. I'm not here to tell people what's right or what's wrong. And I'm not here to fix anyone or cure them in any sense. The work of therapy is done by the person coming to therapy. And the role of the therapist is to walk along the journey with them, offering a different perspective, asking questions to spark insight, and really to present options for them to see the best path forward. Whatever someone decides to do is what they decide to do, and it's not my position to place judgment on their choices, but only to help them see what those choices you know, will do, what they, how they will affect their emotional well-being, right? I've never found myself offering a solution that would go against my morality. I think a lot of Catholics considering the occupation are concerned about the idea they'll need to tell someone that they should get a divorce, uh, and that would violate some sort of church teaching. But remember that you're presenting options to the individual coming to you for help. Um, You're not choosing what to do for them. And perhaps even more importantly, it's important to remember that the church doesn't teach that getting a divorce is immoral and even lays out situations where it would be a good idea for couples to separate. And we shouldn't shy away from exploring this option if it means the physical and emotional safety of the person we're working with or their children. There are, of course, other situations you might be envisioning, people asking about abortions, gender reassignment surgery, assisted suicide. But in addition to considering that we aren't here to tell people what to do, but only explore options and what one's choices might result in, remember that a therapist can always refer someone out to another provider if they aren't comfortable with a specific situation or don't have expertise in a certain area. 
While I've never had to recommend something that goes against my moral beliefs, I have had to learn that people are going to make their choices no matter what happens in the therapy session. And as a therapist, I have to remember that I don't have to own their decisions. Everyone makes their own choices. And as therapists, we're there to support them as they continue to move through their process no matter what choices they've made. I hope that helps. Anonymous wraps us up. I'm currently a college student and lately I've been struggling with finding motivation to do homework, assignments, procrastination, and just wanting to sleep a lot. Do you have any tips to help overcome burnout? Well, let's start by joining in prayer together for Anonymous and everyone experiencing decreased motivation for God to provide what they need to move forward in the best way possible. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come. Before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Before we touch on some thoughts about procrastination, I want to pose this question. Do you think there may be a chance that you're experiencing depression? Decreased motivation, increased sleep, difficulty focusing, these are all symptoms related to depression. And while many of us think of depression as sadness and crying, which it can also be, it seems that for for most of us, the experience is that the symptoms that you're talking about. It's definitely worth asking your doctor about. Once that's been sorted out, we can tackle procrastination, and we're going to start with very well mind here. Procrastination is the art of delaying or putting off tasks until the last minute or past their deadline. Some researchers define procrastination as, quote, a form of self-regulation failure characterized by the irrational delay of tasks despite potentially negative consequences. Research suggests that procrastination can be particularly pronounced among students. A 2007 meta-analysis published in the Psychological Bulletin found that a whopping 80 to 95% of college students procrastinated on a regular basis, particularly when it came to completing assignments and coursework. According to researchers, there are some major cognitive distortions that lead to academic procrastination. Students tend to overestimate how much time they have left to perform tasks, overestimate how motivated they'll be in the future, underestimate how long certain activities will take to complete, and mistakenly assume that they need to be in the right frame of mind to work on a project. Back to me, this article goes on to explore how procrastination may be a symptom of depression, as well as mentioning uh, the possibility of OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, or ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So again, it's definitely worth looking into these various mental health experiences as you're looking at how to make your way through this. We'll wrap up here with some tips from that very same article. Make a to-do list. To help keep you on track, consider placing a due date next to each item. Take baby steps. Break down the items on the list into small, manageable steps so that your tasks don't seem so overwhelming. Recognize the warning signs. Pay attention to any thoughts of procrastination and do your best to resist the urge. If you begin to think about procrastinating, force yourself to spend a few minutes working on your task. Eliminate distraction. Ask yourself what pulls your attention away the most, whether Instagram, Facebook updates, or the local news, and turn off those sources of distraction. And pat yourself on the back. When you finish an item on your to-do list on time, congratulate yourself and reward yourself by indulging in something you find fun. 
All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in a future episode. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.